Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. Can we all, just to begin... Take a nice collective breath, just for a moment, just pause for this moment. Because I'm sure you've been going, 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 thinking about so many things. You probably have a lot of things on your plate, and you've taken just a small moment to listen to this, to this podcast, which I'm so eternally blessed and grateful for. And I command you to just be still for a moment. All right, let's all just take a breath through our nose in and out through your mouth. Man, just feel that release of stuff. All the stuff, hey? I've been very interested in the effects that this is having on us, you know, the absolutely negative effects that isolation have on the human body, the human system, not to mention if you want to put uh, the elderly in stress, put them in isolation and just further give more loneliness. You know, it's a, it's this interesting conundrum that's occurring where it is both healthy to have distance from each other and not healthy to have distance from each other. And that be, these are two opposing feelings and beliefs and experiences that, that we know cognitively it's necessary. Now, but we biologically crave closeness. But this also doubles down with another interesting thing that we're being taught. And this is why remember to take everything you're being informed with and look at it from a human experience of how that might affect you biologically. Because we're essentially being warned that other people are biological threats to us. And so I noticed this yesterday when I went to the grocery store and I had to go get my, you know, sort of every week and a half essentials. And I was walking by this lady and as she walked by me, um, you know, we weren't that close. Don't worry, there distance police out there. We weren't that close. But she like put her shirt over her face to cover her face for me. And, you know, I just smiled at her. It wasn't a, anything but what I noticed is that it's really hard to hold two worlds in that you see other people as threats. So when you're walking down the street, you make sure there's space between you and them on the sidewalk. But because we are seeing unconsciously for sure other people as biological threats, what occurs is when someone says hi to us, we, at least I've noticed this, People are not necessarily very friendly because underneath my high is I'm still a biological threat. So practice holding both. There's nothing more important than giving someone a warm greeting right now and being kind and smiling at people while still knowing that you don't want to be close to them. That's okay, right? It's I just see people so incapable of both 
But right now we need that more than any time. We need that that graciousness, that greeting, that kindness, that extension, that helping of a neighbor. I also noticed that it would be very normal for me. I saw some elderly people walking on a, a very wide hiking path. Don't worry. And they were walking on some ice. Normally I would have offered my hand to help uh, the nice older lady, but I couldn't. And, and that felt very weird. So, you know, it's interesting to see how we might not feel supported right now or that people are checking in on us or that, you know, we might be unable to give or take care of other people in that physical sense. But we can in terms of checking on people and just saying hello. And I, for me, I, I'm just constantly being observant of how does this affect us biologically and from a connection perspective. And we can mitigate, mitigate those things by being proactive by making sure that we're maintaining as much visual contact with other people in terms of FaceTime or whatever it is that you do. What's been really cool is I've had a lot of Zoom like group catch-ups with people, people I hadn't seen in a long time. You know, a lot of Instagram lives are going on. I didn't notice that. That's really happening. There's a lot of that, a lot of beautiful free content. And I think this is going to completely change the workplace, what's going on in the workplace. Um, And I'm a little concerned about it because really, if governments don't give the proper support, then, you know, this could be the decimation of the middle class and then the further extending of the space between the top 1% and everybody else. And so, gosh, we have to take care of each other. We have to, and I, there's a number of really small local businesses that I love, a lot of fitness teachers that I go to normally, a lot of good friends running businesses or participating in businesses that I've been supporting as much as I can, giving money to food banks, giving money to domestic violence centers, all these things, ways we can contribute and support. And let's just keep a list, all of us, hey, of businesses that are just essential for us, the ones that we go to and we get community from and they're, they give us that non-Walmart feel, you know. Like One thing I love about Vancouver is it has a lot of mom and pop shops. It has a lot of small restaurants and grocery stores and all those things, cafes. And those are the things that are the essence of vibrancy of a neighborhood. They're the thing that hold on to the culture of a neighborhood and a community you know, you put in a big box store and they just decimate that. They decimate that, that, um, you know, of course people survive based on being, you know, salaries at those places. And there's nothing more exciting to me, more interesting, more eclectic than going into a restaurant or a grocery store that I know transcends, uh, and helps a family and they really put their heart and soul into everything that they do and the experience that you have in their, in their store. So let's keep an eye on our small businesses and our friends that that need that support. And if you are someone with a small business, uh, much like myself, make sure you're asking for support if you need it. You know, make sure you're saying, hey, I could use this. Or what I have seen is a lot of versatility in terms of services being offered and what that looks like. Be interesting to see what the workplace looks like after this. You know, all these companies that said they couldn't do remote and they couldn't let you be remote. Now you have to be remote. And all of a sudden they figured it out, didn't they? So it shows you what we do when we have to do it rather than when we choose to do it. And I've long been a promoter of choosing to do things rather than having to do things. Usually things start out that way, though. You know, when you want to lay a boundary or you want to start something or end something or have a conversation, a hard conversation. You usually do it because you have no other choice, because it gets to the place where you don't have a choice. And I promise you that there's a place way before that, that is a choose to. And it's the moment that you're like, oh, I need to talk about that thing. Oh, I need to stop that thing I'm doing. Oh, I need to start that thing. Don't wait till you have to. Wait till you choose to. Now, do it now. Now, 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 now. Because when you choose to do things, you see that you're responsible for your life and you see that you get outcomes that you want much earlier. 
You're not waiting for the environment to dictate your behavior. You're dictating your behavior without the environment. And then that means you're dictating your environment. That's a huge shift that goes from I respond to the world to I create the world. I create my world. I am responsible for everything that is on my plate. Because everything that's on your plate got there because you said yes to it in some way. That's the truth. And if you accept that truth, then you accept responsibility for your life. If you accept responsibility for your life, then you have to accept that you have not always been responsible for your life. You've hurt other people, you've hurt yourself, and that's the Rolodex that we have to cycle through. You know when you're looking at one of those uh, books where you flip the pages and it moves, you know? I think of that, or like you watch a film and it goes through memories really quickly. I think of that like a Rolodex. All the memories of all the times we let ourselves down or we hurt other people and we were not responsible for our lives. We get hit with the shame train and that shame train is confronting because it is all the times we did not show up with the level of responsibility that we're about to take responsibility for. And that's usually where people stop because it's too overwhelming. And so they put everything back into the tidy little box tucked away in the closet and then go back to being a victim of their lives, saying that everything's just fate. But let's be real. Like, that perspective is is possible, but it's not empowering. You know, you can hold that, but you can't be a victim of the world and then also expect to achieve your dreams. You just can't. Because fate doesn't work for you if you don't work for you. You know, that's just the truth. And when they study luck, there's a great article called The Luck Factor. You can look it up. And they studied unlucky people. And of course, unlucky people were like, I'll volunteer for this. This is the best. I'm going to prove how unlucky I am. And then they studied lucky people. And then they taught unlucky people what lucky people do. And unlucky people became lucky. Because it's a way of seeing the world. It's optimism. It's looking for the good. It's looking for opportunities. It's not staying in a box. It's taking a different way to work when we drove to work. It's talking to people who are different than you would normally talk to. It's trying things a different way. It's being different. It's showing up different. It's behaving differently. It's, it's communicating differently. It is so in all the micro moments that life changes in big ways. And that's true in the research from the Gottmans. It's the small moments in relationships that really matter most. It's not the birthdays and the anniversaries and all those things. Those are beautiful. But it's the gaze when you pass each other. It's taking the moment to acknowledge one another. It's the hello. It's the how was your day? What was the best part? I haven't checked in on you in a while. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. The more you get curious about your own inner world, the more that you'll get curious about your partner's inner world. And we are both so different when we're in a relationship. And that's the beautiful thing. If two of the same people were in a relationship, that'd be boring shit. Let's be honest and be like, I already know what happened. I am you. Jesus. Find a new hobby that's different than mine. God, I can finish your sentences. I don't want to finish your sentences. I want a new sentence. You only get that by adventure, by curiosity, by doing new things. And it's so funny how we want our partner to understand us when we don't even take the time to understand us. We want them to love the most vulnerable parts of us, the deepest parts of us, and we don't even take the time to do that. So then we're depending on them to give them something that we don't do. And then when they actually do it, we won't be able to receive it because we won't actually deep down believe that part's lovable. Do you see the conundrum, the trap that's set? Like, I want you to understand me and figure me out, but gosh, I haven't taken the time to do the same for me. So I won't be able to receive it. Whew. You know, I get asked a lot right now things like, how do you date right now during the time of COVID-19? I'm like, don't. Like, you don't have to date. Like, you don't have to FaceTime and date and coffees. You can. I'm not saying don't. Do it if you want. But if you ever not... Have you ever just sat in your own shit? Have you ever just marinated in this space between two moments, two things? Have you ever not jumped from relationship to relationship? Why are you so afraid of presence? Why are you so afraid of just sitting fucking still and not swiping left and right and fucking, you know, 
following the Instagram rabbit hole and seeing posts from people where it's like missing Sundays so that they can post a freaking picture of their body. You know, it's so stupid that we distract ourselves so much from the presence. I'm sorry, stupid is probably the wrong term, but you know, I was going off on one and I, I got on one with the language. What I mean <laughs> instead of that is it's sad. It's sad and it's an invitation. And sad doesn't mean it's not possible. It's that we are so uncomfortable sitting in certain feelings. Feelings that we never learned how to sit through as children. And then we'll often try to save other people from those feelings because we don't know how to navigate them ourselves. So here we are in a collective pause, a collective breath, a collective moment. And we're being asked for some simple things, pretty simple things, aren't we? And yet we're having such a hard time with it. And that's okay. It's hard. You know, like growth is hard. Challenges are meant to be challenging. They're not meant to be fucking cakewalks. Life's not meant to be fucking easy. Whoever told you that was full of shit. It's meant to push us and grow us and challenge us and ask more of us than we are. Because that's how we expand. That's how you become everything. That's how you learn. Is that you get challenged and your old bullshit gets to go away and die. And your new stuff gets to be born. Gosh, all you do is just keep peeling off the layers of what you thought worked and realize it doesn't. So that you can get to a place where you can love unconditionally. You know? And so this episode was not planning on being a nice 15-minute intro, but hey, life doesn't go as planned. And that's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to do a Q&A all about you happening here. I got four questions that I saved specifically for this. I have not read them, so I don't prepare myself. I got these sent these by my wonderful, wonderful social media manager slash holds my world together glue, Laura. So, this is a Q&A that I'm going to do, but before I do that, wherever you listen to this, hit subscribe, hit it up, get a copy every time it comes out, hot off the press, from Mark Groves. Okay, let's hit up this Q&A, you ready? You ready? You ready? Because I'm ready. Okay, first question. Hello, Mark. I think we are basically neighbors. Well, hello. That's not too creepy. Anyhow... My preamble for context and then the question. I've really stepped into doing the work lately. Well done, my friend. Extremely grateful for people like you and the angry therapist. Oh yeah, John Kim, he's a he's the bomb. Such a good dude. As I'm entering a space where maybe I feel like entering a relationship would be healthy and I could be a good partner, I'm struggling with figuring out which of my deal breakers are okay and which aren't. I don't want kids. I've had a vasectomy. And I don't party. So I know that deal breakers like wanting kids or doing drugs or not are values that I need to honor. I'm fine with those deal breakers. However, however, there are some traits or situations I avoid that I'm really confused about. I can't tell if I'm being selfish or lazy, short-sighted or setting smart boundaries that will enable me to be happier and have more successful relationships. For example... I don't date women who have dogs that shed. Interesting. Animal hair on my clothes makes me anxious. I won't entertain dating someone who lives in North Vancouver, even though I drive. Just for context, North Vancouver in Vancouver is like a 25-minute drive sometimes, maybe a little more from like Vancouver proper. So, you know, it has a bridge between it and Vancouver, so that's basically a long-distance relationship. If someone listens to genres of music that I can't handle listening to, country comes to mind, it will weigh very strongly on my decisions to pursue something. Things like these make me anxious in my guts. Waking up covered in dog hair or having to commute to visit someone for months on end. I want to believe that I'm willing to do the work, learn someone, and be curious, but I can't tell if I'm lying to myself and this is me being childish. How can I tell which of my many deal breakers are valid and which I need to drop? Thank you. 
Well, it's interesting because things like dog hair or the music they listen to, these are things that other people's stuff will get projected onto you that like, oh, like they're, you don't want to have to deal with their needs and their life. You know, there is certainly a difference between a deal breaker and a preference. So a deal breaker is things like to have kids or not to, to get married or not to, when to or not to, to do drugs or not to, to smoke or not to, to drink or not to. They're pretty certain things. They're pretty absolute. And if you don't honor them at the beginning, you'll, you know, being like, well, let's try this out. Maybe like you just have to get absolutely certain with the things you want. So when you get to that moment where you're trying to negotiate for a connection, what you'll find is you often self-abandon because you don't believe you're going to get what you want. So you accept something less than that. And then you get to a moment three months later and you're like, shit, or 10 years later. And you're like, shit, I knew this at the beginning, but you didn't stand in your truth. And that's okay because that's how we learn. But just make sure you stand in your truth once you learn. If you stand, if you don't, once you learn, then you're going to really self-abandon. And then that leads to Again, things like stomach issues and inflammation and, you know, there's nothing more freeing than being in the integrity of yourself. So, you know, your deal breakers sound a bit like walls. Um, It's not to say that you can't want to be with someone, you know, you're allowed to not want to be with someone who has a high shedding dog. But my inquiry would be more into how could you be with someone who has a shedding dog and it be okay? Does that mean that they have those little hairbrushes and the dogs aren't allowed on you or on the furniture? I mean, that's a pretty normal request. I mean, there are people who love when their dogs run all over everything and themselves. Those are not my people, but I get it. I love them either way. I still love you. Just the way that you and your dog interact are not my favorite. And that's okay. I got preferences too, my friend. Now, the part about music Again, it's like you're going to have to accept something about them. You're going to have to. It tells me that you're afraid to make space for someone else, probably because you lost yourself in someone else's needs and their life. So it tells me that you're afraid to express what you truly want and to say, I don't like that song. Can we change the music? Like there's something about getting to the place where the music is playing and you don't have a choice. Right. There's a way that the story plays out in all of these things. Like I get to this moment where there's dog hair on me and I'm frustrated and then I can't say anything about it or I end up trapped with this person and they're goddamn dog hair. But my point is the deeper part of this is these are walls. And this is why it's so easy when we're in relationship to lose ourselves. So easy. And That's because the model of relationship we've been taught is codependency. It's the loss of identity to not have your identity is in the relationship. You complete me. I'm nothing without you. All of that jargon, that language is all very, that's very abandoning. It's very codependent, you know, and so we've been taught that. So if you find yourself in relationship, never knowing what you've ever needed and never knowing what you've ever wanted, welcome to being a human today because that's what you inherited. And now you're waking up to the fact that you're still allowed to have needs and be in love. And it's often very challenging to separate your own identity from someone else's when you've already built a relationship on no one having an identity and the relationship itself being the identity. So that's the work of individuating within um, an organism that's enmeshed. Enmeshed being, imagine like taking your two hands and spreading your fingers and bringing them together and your fingers interlocking. That's where two humans become one. So the relationship is not a separate entity, it is everything. So if one person wants to separate their hand, it feels like the relationship is cracking and the other person's being abandoned. So that's sort of the way you can think of it. Um, So when one partner starts to individuate and pursue their needs and their passions, and they might never have in their whole life, and That can occur for many reasons, losing a job, kids moving out, tons of different things, all different ways that our identity gets shattered. We can find out that someone we love has done something or someone passes or something like that, you know, where our identity is challenged. And then when our identity is challenged, like our religion or beliefs that we've held, like I'm a mom, right? And then when the kids move out, then it's like, who am I without my kids home? That's, you know, that type of thing or a divorce can 
do that. Any uh, death, because you lose someone, they're my parent. Who am I without them? Who am I, right? They all lead to this inquiry of who am I? So it's easy to lose ourselves in a relationship. And so then when we end up single and we've done the work, like you're clearly doing this, this, this collar, although you're not a collar, writer, this writer, you're doing the work, but the work isn't done until you can go back in a relationship and hold on to who you are and honor who they are and their country music. Like you don't have to love country to be with someone who loves country music. You just have to know that there's space for your music and you don't have to leave that. And there's space for their music. What a beautiful thing that they have their own interests. Because if they didn't have their own interests, you'd be bored as shit. You know, if you got someone who loved everything you love, I mean, sure, you might like it. But you want someone who tells you the truth about who you are, someone who stands up for themselves, someone who says you're not being kind, or someone says, listen to this country music, and you might be surprised that you fall in love with the dog, and you fall in love with the person, and you fall in love with country music. All those things might be uh, untrue, but the more important part that's below all of this is the more that you can stand in your own needs and your own wants, the more and the more you give space for someone else to do that and be themselves you realize that the relationship, which is separate from both of you, can have a space where someone goes and listens to music on their own, or you have shared music you listen to when you're together, or you, you know, that's the beautiful thing is the relationship is a construction of agreements that's separate of self. They don't require self-abandonment. And choosing someone should be choosing yourself. But there's a deeper inquiry into this question, as I've said before, which is, where do I lose myself and where do I take responsibility for someone else? Because till you can get to another person's need or another person's interest and not make it your own and not try to take it from them, actually honor them and push them towards it. Like we shouldn't try to rob our partners of their dreams. We should be pushing them towards them. We shouldn't try to abandon our own dreams and then blame our partner. Our relationships should not be where we go to be less of ourselves. They're where we go to be more of ourselves. Where our partners, and this is a new paradigm of relationships. So if you're in a partnership and you're like, that's not how we go. That's not true of mine. We just sort of exist. We just sort of, you know, raise the kids and go to work and we don't even really have sex anymore. I mean, that's a framework of relationship. It's an inherited one, and now people want more. So if you want more, you can create more. You just have to invite it. You have to start becoming it. And with some people, they'll be open to that change, and other people won't. And that's okay. Everyone has the right to their own journey, and it might mean disruption. It might mean changes. It might mean a lot of things. But ultimately, your goal is to get to freedom. Freedom to be yourself. Freedom to be in love. Freedom... Like a relationship should never be a prison, right? It should never be a prison. Because if it's a prison, then you won't be able to be yourself because you'll be afraid that you'll not be able to leave. You'll be afraid to give birth of all of you because they might leave you because your identity is tied to the relationship. It's such interesting work to begin to inquire. And so what a great question to lead us to such an inquiry. Who are you? What do you want? Can you honor someone else's needs and hold on to your own? Whew, that shit's hard work, let me tell you. Because it involves having good fucking boundaries and honoring other people's boundaries, even when it means putting one on ourselves, right? Okay, question number two. Last year, I dated someone I've been friends and coworkers with for the past four years. How's HR feel about that one? You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's get into this. All right. We dated for about five months. I knew he had previously ended a long-term relationship, but we never spoke about how recently that was. He told me from the beginning he finds it really difficult to open up, so I didn't push him. All right. I know we both really enjoyed our time together. The chemistry and intellectual connection was incredible. Incroyable. And I've never felt so sure of my feelings for someone. Eventually, we got to the point where I needed to know what we were doing. So this is about five, oh, you dated a total of five months. I want to know how this, how long it was till that. We'll get to this. We got really vulnerable with each other, and he told me that his nine-year relationship had only ended two months before we started dating. Okay. 
This concerned me as I was previously in a nine-year relationship and know that my healing process took almost two years to get to the place where I could fathom my life without that person. So we discussed that he needed some time and space to process, as he said he's been suppressing his feelings for the last few years in which he was unhappy in that relationship. He said he truly hopes that we can try again in the future, as he's never felt so comfortable with someone and really enjoyed our time together. He also said he is sure he doesn't want to get back together with his ex, as his feelings for me are so strong, but he doesn't think it's fair to start something new with such emotional baggage holding him back. I said I have so much respect and love for him, but won't and don't deserve to sit and wait for him. If it works down the track, that's great. But in the meantime, I know we need to do our own thing. It's now been three months since we had that conversation. It's been really hard to do my own thing, especially given that I see him often at work until this new COVID thing happened. Even though it's not awkward to see him at work, it is difficult, especially that I feel he would often try to keep our conversations going. I can't help but feel like we really did have a soul connection. I know I need to give him space and time, and I'm doing nothing in terms of chasing him in the physical world sense. But I feel like I'm still chasing him emotionally and spiritually. Even with all the energy I'm putting into myself, my life, and my healing, he's on my mind constantly. I'm I'm at a loss or subconsciously resisting for how to let hope of our future together go. Any advice would be much appreciated. Thank you kindly. Wow. I mean, this is such a beautiful testament to honoring each other. You know, he said he has a hard time opening up. He's just freshly out of a relationship, which two months out of a nine-year relationship, I would almost always consider a red flag. A red flag to at least be curious. You know, a lot of times when someone's in a long relationship, by the time the person ends it, if they're the ones ending it, they've been long ready to go for a while. And the person who's had it ended on them is usually... Even though you can, I mean, let's be honest, you can usually see breakups coming. And when someone has a relationship ended on them, they often pretend like they didn't see it because it really heightens the victim side of that. Like, I can't believe you left. I can't believe, even though, and what about when someone dumps us and we wanted to dump them and then we're mad that they dumped us and we get, and then all of a sudden we want them. It's so weird how the mind works. Anyways, my point is, is that that is a short period of time after a nine-year relationship. And then there's no space to sit in the aloneness, right? So I said in the previous answer that when we're enmeshed, when we're two hands, fingers spread apart that come together and we're completed by another person, which is often true, when we leave because we're now discovering ourselves and we're going, holy shit, I just left this long relationship. Who am I without them? What do I want? What's life like? You get out of this relationship going 100 miles an hour. And it's so easy to get back into another car going 100 miles an hour because when you get out of the car going that speed and you're standing still, you're like, holy shit, the world is moving slowly. And I don't like it because it's spinning and I'm present to myself and my heart and the space where they were and all the work I need to do and all the ways I abandon myself and all the communication I haven't had and whoa, 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 this is overwhelming. Insert new person. Easy to do. So easy to do. So that's why I would always take space. And when someone is newly out of a relationship and they hop right back in one, they never really process all the learning that comes from a previous relationship. No matter how a relationship ends, we always, always, always 100% of the time, I don't care if that triggers you, participate in the outcome. We always do. Because every relationship is a dance that has two or more, if you're polyamorous, which makes it even more complex. So I love that you both honored each other in this. You know, he was open about what he needed. He said that he loved you. You love him. You're clearly a little more ready than him. I do think that there is some, at least an invitation to look at the attraction to unavailability that you had in terms of his new relationship, or sorry, his recently being out of a relationship. But I love that you, the writer here, honored him and honored yourself. Both are honoring each other. And there's nothing harder than what he did as well, which is look into the eyes of someone you love, who you desperately want to choose, but just cannot choose in this moment. And saying like, I love you enough that I need to walk away right now. And you saying, I love and respect you enough that walking away is the right answer. I won't wait for you. 
But then we end up in this space where, yes, we're doing the work and yes, we're focused on ourselves and yes, we are open to love and we still have an idea that love is with them. And there's a couple things that you can do here. One is you're still seeing him. You're still around him at work and that's tough, of course, and he's extending those conversations because he cares about you. What I would invite is if there's space for it, is for a check-in. You know, it's been three months since you had that conversation. What happens if you said, hey, I'd really like to connect with you and check in to see where you're at. I miss you. And then you just go for coffee. Well, right now you don't. You go for digital coffee and you check in with each other and you see how each other are. And and you just say, where are you at? Is your heart mending? Is there space for love? Is there space for a relationship? Because you're clearly, writer here, you are clearly wondering. And it's okay to check. It's okay to ask. And if he says that he's not, then then you move. You keep moving forward, but you put more space between you and them. Because in my opinion, uh, if you, you know, although you say you haven't chased him, which is really great, Um, continuing to create that space between you and another invites them to step into it. And that's what creates attraction. That's what creates desire is it gives space for them to individuate and be a human and choose something of their own accord that they get to walk towards after they've healed the space that someone else was in. That's a beautiful opportunity. So I, you know, there's one thing about letting go of the future that you had with him. Once you have that conversation, If you're listening and you're thinking you're in a similar situation, but actually reconnecting with the person is toxic and you keep breaking up and getting back together, do not use this as an excuse to do it again, because I am not giving you permission to do that. Not that I give permission for anything, but a lot of times people listen to things and they're like, oh yeah, then I can go contact that toxic person. And I'm like, nope, you know who you are, don't do it. So when we're dealing with the future with someone that we have to let go of, we have to mourn the future with them. But the problem or the challenge is, is that we think we have to mourn the future, but you don't have to mourn the future. You just have to mourn the future with them. So we think that we're letting go of the whole story. You're not letting go of the whole story. You're just letting go of the person in the role in the story. And so what you do is you write down all the amazing things about them. Now, if you're having a hard time letting go of an ex, Write down all of the things you didn't like about them to remind you of all the things you didn't like about them and why it didn't work. But in this case, this worked. And so you write down all the things you liked about them and you don't write their name down and you create a list in a relationship. What what things would you have liked to be different instead of freshly out of a relationship? Available for love, right? That's going on your list now. Healed from their past. That's going on your list. Ready to step into a relationship. That's on your list. And you create that list and you put it in your pocket and you read it every morning that says, I'm ready to create a partnership with an amazing partner who's ready to step into love and has healed their past and is ready to choose a future with me. In order to get that, what I'm willing to do is live in my integrity and my alignment and keep putting one foot forward each and every day and live in my values. And that's what you're willing to do in exchange because nothing is free in life. And if you want someone who's honest, you got to be honest. If you want someone who shows up, you got to show up. You don't get to ask for those things and be lazy. Then you'll be like, but it's fate. No, it's not. It's choice. It's choice. Question three. I'm happily married with my wife, eight years together and two years of being married as of this coming June. There's only one problem. Mm Hmm. We're getting ready here, aren't we? I've fallen for one of my closest friends and the feelings won't go away. Okay. I developed a friendship four years into my relationship that grew into undeniable fondness and ultimately the longest crush I've ever had. It's nearly unbearable at this point. The feeling is mutual as my friend and I have talked about it at length, but we keep our distance in that regards as we are both not cheaters and don't want to hurt people we are, we are with and love. She's engaged and I'm married. I just want to point out that cheating is not only physical. So there is an emotional affair that is occurring here. Um, You know, I just don't want to just let that slip. And you're not happily married. You're happy and you probably, it sounds like, respect your partner. But you're not happy. There's something going on here. 
I've done the deep dive back into my own marriage and have given 200% renewed energy to it, and my feelings for my friend won't subside. My friend and I spent 14 months apart without even talking to each other. She left the state. When we saw each other, the feelings were still there as day one. As no person or relationship is perfect, I've discussed with my wife at length the reasons I am needing change in my life and in our marriage, minus the crush on friend part. But nothing changes despite my, despite my efforts. All that said, my question is this. Am I looking for ways out of my marriage for reasons I am seeking change? And running to a person my mind believes is a place of emotional safety? How do I recognize the difference between the love I have for my marriage and the love I have for my friend? Well, shit, this is no small question, right? So I'm going to add a real giant caveat to this. I don't have enough information to give a specific answer to this specific scenario, but I'm going to speak in generalizations. So if you write me and you say, well, not all the time and sometimes this, yeah, I know, newsflash, I get that. So don't write me that because I'm telling you I'm going to generalize here. So the language you're happily married, I would say that you're not connected to the truth. There is something that you're not happily married about and there's things that you want changed. So you're ma- you're married and you're it sounds like you're in a general state of moderate well-being. But you're not elated, you're not like this is great. You want things that are changing both your life and your marriage. Well, you know, sometimes connections that we have with other people are legit. And there's people who leave marriages for other relationships and end up way happier. There's also people who leave marriages and end up not in relationships or in relationships where they then miss their marriage. So there's no right answer. What I do know is that generally when we feel disconnected in our partnerships, we're usually disconnected from ourselves. If you have a value of integrity, then you're already out of alignment with your own value. So, and I would invite every human to make integrity one of their number one values because that'll curate a well-lived free life. So I would get back into integrity first. I know that you said you spent 14 months apart. Often what happens is two people who are friends are getting needs met that they're not getting in their relationship and they're not turning towards their relationship for it because now the need is being met outside the relationship. So what is a um, something that is not being achieved within the relationship and now seen as a deficit is being filled by another space. So why would we seek it from our relationship, our primary relationship? And so what we can ha- what can happen is we start to have people who are like emotional prostitutes for us. We feel this love and elation that pulls us away from deeper, harder work. Now, with that said, I want to honor and call, you know, speak the truth that there are relationships where you are trying to cultivate connection and growth and asking to go see a therapist and let's read this book. I really want this to work. And the partner's going, no, I don't want to. Or they say they're going to change and they never do. You see this in all, so many relationships with addicts. Look, you can't change anybody. People can only change themselves. And if you keep begging for them to change and not seeing any change, they're not going to change. You got to connect to the truth. Have you spent your life trying to get people to change and to show up? Because that's a pretty good pattern to pay attention to. Do you pick people that don't show up? Do you pick people that aren't open to growth and then expect growth from them? Do you pick people who had potential but were never living it? Because if you fall in love with potential, you'll often lose your own. Now, it sounds to me like you've been with this wonderful woman for eight years, two years married, and you either completely cut off contact with your friend and you dive fully in with deal breakers with your partner. These are the things that I need to change. If they don't change, then this relationship doesn't work for me. You must have something like that. And you have to tell the other people, the other person, sorry, in your relationship, what does change look like? What would the behavior look like that you want from her? And you want some sort of change in your life. What is the change that you want in your life? 
Now, with all that said, because that's all the caveats of like investing in your own relationship first, cut off the other things so you can fully invest because otherwise you'll just keep longing for that. Can you create that within your relationship? Is there a part of you that holds that part of you back from your partner? Because then you'd be fully seen in your relationship. Now, now that all that is discussed, I mean, it, I'm, I'd never tell someone what their truth is. You know, like if you feel like your soul is calling you somewhere else, just don't get lost in that story without completing the first investment. And sometimes there's just a deep knowing. I mean, gosh, there's just a deep knowing. And that's a hard thing to acknowledge and because there's so much of a story about we leave things too easy, we leave things too soon. I am not the, I don't have a crystal ball telling you what is the truth and what is not about what you should do in your relationship. Only you know. And if you leave your partner and then discover that you should have stayed, you wouldn't have known that if you never left. You know, if you, I just, I don't like the language here of like, we're both not cheaters. These are all just ways of minimizing the truth of our shame. I mean, you are cheating. You are creating a side relationship. And you know, I'm guessing that the often what happens in these situations is then someone will, especially in this situation, the male will want to open the relationship, thinking that's the solution. Again, I'm not saying this is actually true for this, but often when we feel a lot of disconnection in our primary relationship, we think the first step is opening our relationship, um, which, hey, for some couples, I'm sure works. Um, and sometimes it's the tearing down of the relationship status. I don't want to break up with them, so we'll open it. But then they end up in a primary monogamous relationship with someone that they opened it for. I mean, these are many complexities to this. But, you know, there's a lot of people affected by these choices in this question. And, you know, the thing about life is that hard conversations are going to have to be had. And there's nothing more challenging than living a life filled with secrets. There's nothing heavier on the body, on the, on the immune system than living a life filled with secrets. You know, you're going to have connections with other humans when you're married or in primary relationship. You're going to have connections. It's just whether you choose to entertain them. You know, we all could go build little side hustles with someone else where we have a best friend that we feel seen and all those things. Do you feel seen in your own relationship? If your own relationship is not giving you what you actually want, Either invite it to grow into that, and if it can't, then leave. But don't kind of be in one and kind of be in another. That's not functional. So those are my thoughts on that. It's hard to recognize the difference between the love you have for your marriage and the love that you have for your friend. I would go all in on your marriage and let your friend be engaged and get married or leave each other's partner for each other. I mean, if that's going to be what you need to figure out, just remember that your choice does come with some consequences. And all choices come with consequences. So just be mindful of them. That's why I'm saying if you eat everything on your plate, you know if you want that plate. And then you can make a choice. That's different. But you have said that you went all in and you went in 200%. And your feelings for your friend won't just subside. I would say take everything that you feel for your friend and try to create it in your relationship. All right, that was a complex question. Poof. All right, good luck if that related to any of you. Because I don't know what's best for you, only you do. And remember that every choice you make will just garner you more information. So at the end of the day, the choice you make, you know, I know this thought triggers a lot of people because I've said it before and then I get lots of comments from it, which is when you make a life decision where you're trying to discover new information, there are actually no mistakes because when you make a choice that ends up in a path you didn't want to be, then you learn from the choice. And so it, it's not a mistake because you now have new information you would not have had had you not made the choice. And so everything just builds a wiser, more thoughtful version of you. And that's why when people are in indecision about their relationship or things are uncomfortable and they choose to leave or to stay and fight for it, either way, you get more information that you never would have had before. And we love to shame that to say, well, no, of course, it's a bad decision to leave your relationship. We don't know that. 
It's often a great decision for some people to leave a relationship, and it's a great decision for other people to fight for a relationship. The thing is, is we can't project our own lens of the world onto other people. You know, just because we got left by someone and we know how painful it is, we don't want other people to leave other people because we want to protect those people from the pain of being left. But when you really connect to the pain that is left when someone leaves you and you really grow from it, you see that the only reason you're still in suffering is because you believe they took a part of you with them. And that's the greatest lesson you can learn in the world. I said this on my last podcast, the universe will take everything from you that you place your worth in to realize your worth doesn't live there. And you can't protect other people from being hurt because other people are going to make choices. Just like you can't protect your children from making bad choices. They're going to make bad choices. All you can do is educate them and live a kind, graceful, empowered life. Because it's the same thing as not wanting someone to pursue a dream because you don't want them to experience failure. So you shit talk their dreams or you try to stop them from doing things because you never did it yourself or you didn't like the feeling of failure. I have learned more from my bottoms, more from my rock bottoms and my pain and my breakups than I ever learned from elation. I have learned more from loss than I ever did from things that I gained. I've gained more from loss than just static education and knowledge. Pain has a great way of transforming us, a great way of expanding us, a great way of breaking patterns and inherited behaviors. You know, when people are stuck in relationships that are not not contributing to their well-being at all, It's because we have created this idea that you must always stay. We saw our grandparents not even like each other, but still be married. And this isn't true for all of them, so don't worry. There's many that loved each other. But there's many that stayed because divorce wasn't an option, because it was actually illegal. There's many women who stay in relationships because they think they have to, and often because they are financially dependent. That's, again, the patriarchy, what we've... Well, we've inherited. And so we have to do the very challenging work of deconstructing when is the right time to go, when is not, when do we fight, when don't we? We garner this information by doing, by doing something. And I want to honor too that there are many men trapped in relationships too because they believe they have to be and they're going to be a failure if their relationship ends and they're the provider and and they're stuck in jobs that don't fulfill them because they're afraid of not being able to provide and letting their family down. I mean, everybody has a conundrum and a challenge. And they're all just as important and just as valid. So if I missed your caveat or your conundrum, I'm sorry. All right, question number four. At the, le- at the end of last year, I found messages on my partner's phone and PC that shocked me. I found disgusting pictures and messages between him and a woman he met on Tinder, her privates and his. Oh, Lord. He had been on dating apps and been meeting for orgies and sex. Good God, we're in a, this is a, whew, this is a big one here. It has completely broken things. I can't believe he would do that. He is a good, kind man and father. I mean, he is a, a kind man and a father. Um, I mean, he's got some shadow stuff going on here. We've been together 25 years. We have two teens. We are still living as a family, quote unquote. I stopped being intimate with him. I'm so confused. I'm not in love with him. I know the best thing is to leave. He put my life and his life and the kid's life at risk. Yes, he did. Thankfully, he says he's used protection and I did have a full checkup for my work and all my tests came back fine. He tells me he's addicted to porn and he's so ashamed and he's so sorry. He does not know why he does this. He believes that he is a good person and asks me not to forget that and not to see him as a monster, that he just made mistakes and has not been using porn since December. I feel such betrayal and he was also telling them that he's separated from his wife. The lies are endless. He's lying to everyone. I can't physically leave right now. Have to stay put. He provides the best as he can for the kids. It's been eating me up. The kids do not know anything about what's going on. I kind of hinted to a couple of female friends 
no details, and they were not helpful. Basically, men will be men, and he's a good person and father, and so many years to give up, etc. Oh, man, that narrative. Most days, I just get on with life and try to get along peacefully and keep my anger in check, but things are completely broken some days. I think maybe to give things as much time as possible and see if anything changes, that I could forgive and stay if he were able to change. At least for three more years, till both kids are in college, I have to give up the last 25 years of my life and know it will not be easy. Okay. We got a lot of different things here. One, if someone is putting your health at risk by making choices like this, um, you're not being intimate with him anymore. Of course not, because you don't trust him. And I mean, it's you were probably disgusted by him. Disgust is a core emotion that's important. If we suppress it, then it comes out in other ways, usually shame, guilt, anxiety, depression. So um, the best thing to do is to leave. That's what you say. So you know leaving is the best choice. Okay, so I just want to point out a big thing here. Staying together for the kids does not work. I just want to point that out. If you're going to stay together for the kids, do the work. It, do the work. Don't stay together for the kids because you think you have to to protect the kids from being hurt. Because then what happens is you create unconscious resentment towards your children. And I almost 100% promise you that your kids already know that you should likely get divorced because kids can smell bullshit from a mile away. And what we end up teaching them is that it's okay to abandon yourself based on principles um, and based on prisons that we were previously taught relationships had to be. So we say it's better to honor the container of relationship than to honor self. And that hiding your voice and your power is actually what you should do in a relationship. That's another thing that can get taught by these things. Finding relational dysfunction and staying together for the kids and doing the work can be a beautiful message. Most of the time, though, people stay together and suffer and finish out this sentence till the kids go to college. The kids almost always later in life are pissed at their parents when they find out they stayed together for the kids. That's almost always true. So either stay and fight or leave and don't. Because when you look at the what's best for children in terms of relationship structure, obviously two parents who love each other is great, who communicate well, who have relational challenges, who allow their kids to see them, experience conflict, and then resolve. Most of the time when parents experience conflict, which is great, you should go do it in private, but show them that there's a way to repair. Let your kids see the repair. That's so important. Because then they learn that you can repair with them too. Make sure you do repair with your kids after you have conflict with them. And repairing can just looking at a deeper connection that occurs. I do understand where that's coming from. I'm sorry that you experienced that. I love you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for letting me see a deeper part of you. All of you is safe here, always. That kind of language, right? Which really shows them that their emotional experience is possible. Um... You know, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, Ryder. I mean, this is an immense betrayal, so much betrayal and such a violation of the sanctity of your relationship and the agreements that you created together that he is completely betrayed. I have a podcast episode with Dr. Julie Gottman, which is about infidelity and it's about how to repair from it. If he is not seeking treatment, that would be a deal breaker for me. Fuck, if you want to repair this, Deal breaker is seeking treatment, figuring it out, healing himself. I know that he desperately wants you to approve of him because he doesn't approve of himself. So he knows that he's out of alignment with himself. And so his shame is incredibly high right now, incredibly high, but he's living in secrets. So I don't know if you have access to his phone, if you get access to all those things now, because in order to rebuild trust, you need to know that he's not communicating with these people. The fact that he was on dating apps and meeting with people and telling people he's separated. I mean, you're not in a relationship right now. You're in a shared home with someone who is not honoring the same thing you are honoring. So when two people are existing in a relationship that are based on completely different agreements, that's not a relationship. That's two people living in a fantasy world. Like... You're, the truth is, he's not a partner you want right now. That's true. You could tell him exactly what you want and what you need him to change, and those are the conditions of you staying. 
And you can also tell him that you don't want to. It's also not your job to protect his secrets. You know, I, I, I really feel for you that you haven't been able to talk to anyone about this. And you have the right to go and talk to someone. You need to find someone, a therapist, a coach, a best friend, because otherwise you're stuck in this trap where you're holding his shame for him. It's not yours to hold. Certainly this is not for your kids to know, but one day your kids might find out. And that's okay if they find out one day. But there are things that we don't want to tell our children because if we do it from a malicious place, that it's to hurt the other person, then we know it's not coming from love. And also it's not your kid's job, if you're, for anyone listening, it's not your kid's job to hold your pain. It's not your kid's job. It's not your kid's job to be your best friend and counsel you through shit. That's codependency and enmeshment. It's not your kid's job. It's your kid's job to be a kid. It's your kid's job to grow up and be free and to learn and to be a teenager, to be a kid. That's why we have adult friends. That's why we have help groups. That's why we have Instagram. That's why we have this. And so I would seek to find someone to talk to. You clearly spoke to friends, but you know, they were not helpful. One, you didn't give them all the details. So they don't have all the information. So they can't fully hear you. So you're not going to feel fully seen. So when you say they're not helpful, you're not letting them see all of you. I'm guessing you're not letting them see all of you because you feel shame and embarrassment for what your husband's done, which is fair. And this message, men will just be men. No, that's such bullshit. What that does is it gives men an excuse to just be men, to make poor choices out of integrity that are coming from a immature, unintegrated, toxic place. And so this is what perpetuates the story. We need consequences, men and women and people in general, need consequences for their behavior. If he doesn't have a consequence, this is exactly what perpetuates the inherited thing, right? Then your kids are going to grow up end up in a relationship where their partner cheats on them and then they'll say men will just be men. Or if one of them's a boy, he'll be like his dad because he'll see mom never held dad accountable so men can just be men. Because the inherited wound has not been healed. One of the inherited wounds of the patriarchy is a silence, voice, and a tolerance. To keep, because right now you look at this, and this is one of my favorite books, is Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. It's a short book. It's powerful. I'd recommend reading that if any of this is, res- you know what, if any of the questions from today are resonating with you in any way, read Dance of Intimacy by Harriet Lerner. And also, can you please tweet her and Instagram her and tell her to be on Mark Rose's podcast because she's she won't reply to me. I mean, I love her. And I love sharing her work. So let's let's Instagram Twitter bomb her saying, you'd be a great guest on Mark Gross' podcast. And Harriet, if you happen to hear this, just know it's out of love. Um, okay, because I just want to share what you, your brilliance with the world. So it feels like, so what happens here though is when that inherited wound of not holding people accountable is this overfunctioning to keep the family together. You know, to keep this together. This is like, how would you take, this is healing always. It's done with addicts. It's done with, whenever you want to heal an addict, it's not chase them to get them sober. It's saying, I'm going to take care of me and make sure I'm okay. And that's me loving you, not letting you dictate my life anymore. It's the same thing in this. What would be honoring and healing and taking care of yourself? That's what you need to do. And that's true always for any circumstances, people listening is it is about how do you honor yourself and. And if you can't honor yourself and, then you know that they don't go together. That's really hard to do, especially in the context of this question, because this question has many things uh, overlaying it. One, roles. I'm the caretaker. I'm the home. I'm the wife. I keep things together. I keep the family good together. He's a good man and a good father and a good... He's not being a good man right now. He might be a good, kind man. And he has shadow stuff he needs to look at. He has stuff he's been suppressing that is spilling out and becoming dangerous for other people. I do want to just point out, when you said I have to give up the last 25 years of my life, I know you do. And I honor that, how brave and courageous it is. Male, female, doesn't matter the dynamic, person, 
When you have to make a courageous choice that you've never made before that is about honoring yourself and reclaiming yourself, there's a freedom that is in that that is beyond anything anyone can ever explain to you. There's a freedom that is birth that is so empowering that you see the amount of power you hold and the fact that you've been tolerating and settling for fucking life. And you don't have to settle for life. We are often trapped in prisons we don't even know we're in. And we blame the world that we can't get out when, as Rumi says, the door's right there. And we just have to find the way. We have to find the way. And it's not easy. And I know there's so many layers of privilege in that and all the intersections of of um, repression, suppression, and all the things that, that, that all make very different stories for each and every person. Each and every person has their own challenges and things that get in the way of reclaiming self and using our voice because it's not always safe to use our voice. But sometimes it's actually incredibly safe to use our voice, but we don't use it because there's literally generations of a lack of safety. And so it's about finding resources to get ourselves out of our unsafe situations. It's about calling support groups. It's about really calling on the people we love. And gosh, when we are in these situations, do we ever see how powerful we truly are? And, you know, it's in these moments where we are like, There's a voice deep inside of us that has been like, I've been asking you to listen for so long. Why do you wait till you have to? Why don't we choose to? You could have chosen this so long ago. All right, that's a wrap. That's it. It's four questions, a lot of talk, a lot of stuff. Have you made it this far? Hell yeah. The rest is just, it's just the good stuff now, right? I hope that this found you well and safe and healthy wherever you're at. And if you enjoyed that, please share this episode and subscribe so that you get an alert when a new episode comes. And I love all of you. Sending you big love. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.